Please find your way in God's Word to Romans chapter 9. I had a Paul moment this morning. I was cleaning my glasses because I was putting commas where they didn't need to be in my text. And uh, I got done, I put them on, and I saw double, and depth perception was gone, and I was feeling my way around, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Thought God had struck me blind or something. One of my lenses fell out, and I didn't know it. <laughs> Took me 20 minutes to figure out my lens was gone. I was nervous, but at least God didn't strike me blind. Romans chapter 9, a chapter that has worked the minds of many theologians over the years. Here in chapter 9, we have verses in the scriptures that we sometimes can't get our minds around. And reason being, because we're not God. You know, and because we're not God, we come up with the questions like, you know, what, like, what, why did God do it this way? Should have done it, you know, this way. Or, or who does God think he is? God? Sometimes we say that. But listen, we should have questions when we study the text. We, we should read Romans 9. We should have questions, especially when we read that God said that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. But it's verses like, like these that, that makes us dig. It makes us go into the depths of the word. You know, that, that should be our response every time. Every time our question should be, what is God doing here? How does this line up with the whole counsel of God? You know, what, what, what is God teaching me here? That should be our questions. We all should be digging into the text. We should have questions all the time. We should be talking to other brothers and sisters in Christ about the word of God. You know, that's one of the reasons we have our fellowship time. You know, there have been great conversations about the word of God during our fellowship time. It's a precious part of our worship. Amen. Now, we have been looking at the heart of Paul and just how big a heart he had for the nation of Israel. And we know that Paul's heart is broken or was broken for his kinsmen in the flesh. His desire is that they would understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and so that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, the Messiah. He was devastated because of their unbelief. Now, last week, we ended by going down the list that Paul gave us on the privileges that Israel has had over the years. We saw in verse four, Paul says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Here we see the supreme blessing, the supreme blessing that God has given to the world, and that is Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, who came from Israel. It is from the Jews that we can trace the human ancestry of Christ. It is, it is through Christ that all of mankind has been blessed. It is the supreme blessing. Let's continue. Verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For, what the, for this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. 
And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Well, here we see Paul explaining why Israel's unbelief doesn't violate God's character, nor does it violate God's word. Verse six says it, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. You see, the Jews are saying, well, if God has set aside his people, if God is bringing in the Gentiles, if God sends a Messiah that the nation does not believe in, then God's word doesn't mean anything, and God's character has changed, and his promises change, and his covenants have changed, and so they come to the conclusion that they can't trust God and that his word has failed. Paul will explain and show that the unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's promise. The unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's person. The unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's prophets, and the unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's plan. And that's really the heart of this chapter here. Paul is going to show that just because Israel does not believe, the nation of Israel does not believe, that doesn't mean God has canceled his promise or that his word is void. Now think about this. Put yourself in, in a Jew's place back then. When they looked at Christianity, they saw it as blasphemy, right? They, 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 they are, they, so they are facing this huge dilemma as, as they wrestle with God, in a sense. Has God canceled his promises? Has God all of a sudden become unjust and unrighteous and untrustworthy? Were the words of the prophets wrong? They needed to work this out. They needed to dig into the word. Their minds are spinning. If Israel is rejected and now out of the covenant, supposedly out of the covenant, then does that mean that God's word is broken? His promises are useless. His character untrustworthy because he's changed his mind. And then, then they would say, well, God is not keeping, is not a covenant keeping God. You can't trust him. They would say to Paul, Paul, you, you keep telling me to come to God through Christ. You tell me that Christ will save me and that Christ will take away my sins and Christ will give me his Holy Spirit and Jesus will give me eternal life and he will take me all the way to glory and he will never let go of me and he will love me forever. I hear all of that, God. but how can I trust Jesus with my life when maybe God didn't keep his word with his chosen nation? So here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to show that the gospel is the truth, even though it has been rejected by the people of the covenant. He will go back to the beginning and show that the unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's promise. Now, one of the reasons the Jews had a hard time accepting Jesus as the Messiah is because most Jews believe that Israel was was like saved by birth. They were a child of God by birth. You know, you, you've heard me speak of this when we partake in the Lord's Supper. If you were a Jew, then, then you were born into the covenant, right? If you are, are of Abraham's seed, you're automatically 
a part of the kingdom. That was their belief. Remember the conversations that Jesus had with the Pharisees. You know, like, we're, hey, whoa, 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 and we're Abraham's kids. Not so quick. But this is the common Jewish belief. So, so to them, if you have the whole nation of Israel, that's the way they see it, almost all, and almost all of the religious leaders rejecting the gospel, then that disqualifies the gospel in their mind, you see. That's their mindset. If the nation of Israel does not believe, then what Paul is preaching can't be believed either. It's not truth. But, but Paul says, he says, God says it is, it is not as though the word of God has failed. It has not failed. And when he says this too, remember, he's not talking about the entire Old Testament. Here he's talking about the covenant and the promises that he just mentioned in, in uh, verse 4. He's listed out the privileges to show that God's word has not failed. When God gave covenants and promises to his people, the nation of Israel, it was to preserve them, to give them a kingdom, to give them glory, to bless them, to give them a king. All of that has taken place. Israel was a privileged nation. I want to stop here and point out that Israel is God's chosen people. Do not miss that. And something that proves that to me is they're still here. They're still here. The, the nation of Israel still exists today. God has kept them intact. We can see that. God has kept them intact so that the Messiah would come through them. We know that's the reason. Listen, you don't see any Hittites, Shuhites, Moabites, and whatever ites are out there. They're not there, but Israel still exists. And to me, that's solid evidence that the God of the scriptures is who he says he is. Think about this. Think about how many nations have tried to eliminate the Jewish race over the centuries. And yet they're still here. Just saying. Now, how does Paul prove that God's word has not failed when it comes to the nation of Israel not believing in Christ or not believing? How does Paul show that God's word has not failed? Verse 6 says it again, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. What's the reason? For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Listen, God never promises unconditionally that each offspring of Abraham is in the covenant just because that person is an offspring of Abraham. Remember, the Jews believe that if, if, if one is a, a fleshly descendant of Abraham, then it's automatically included in the covenant. If one is a Jew by birth, then he is a child of the promise. He is therefore in the covenant. He's a child of God, one of the chosen. But the scriptures have never said that all of Israel will be redeemed Israel, as Paul points out here. Paul says, for they are not all true Israel who are fleshly Israel. Here's how we are to look at it. The real Israel is contained within the nation of Israel. The spiritual Israel is contained within the physical Israel. Israel was chosen as a nation by God to be the ones who have the scriptures and to proclaim the scriptures. God's desire for Israel was that they would go and teach others about him, to teach about the one true living God. 
Israel was, was to be a nation of what? Priests, prophets, and missionaries to the world. So God chose Israel as a nation to be a distinct people, a nation who pointed others towards God and his promised provision of a, of a, of a redeemer, a promised provision of the Messiah and a savior. So what Paul is saying, what the scriptures are saying, is that just because God chose the nation as an entity, it does not mean that every individual within that nation would become part of the spiritual Israel. It does not mean that every individual of the nation is, quote, the true Israel. And so just because the nation doesn't believe, it doesn't cancel the promises of God because God never said that all of the nation was in the covenant. In his sovereignty, God never said that every Jew would believe. But within the physical Israel, there would be a believing remnant. Don't miss that. The nation was elected as elected to privilege, and the ones that Paul just lit, the one the privilege that Paul just listed and more, but only individuals are elected to be part of the covenant. The real Israel is the Israel of faith. It's been that way throughout history. Know this though. God has always had a remnant, always. We can see it throughout the scriptures. It's simple as what happened in John 147. What does Jesus say about Nathaniel? Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed, indeed, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. When we get to Romans chapter 11, verse four, we see that God said, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Remember what we studied back in chapter two in Romans. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. God has always had a remedy. Very important. The nation was chosen to privilege, but individuals are chosen to be the real Israel. The ones who have faith in God, as God has prescribed in the word, they are the truth, Israel. Now think about this. This letter was written to the church in Rome. Right? We have Gentile believers. We have Jewish believers in this church. I bet for the believing Jew, this teaching of the remnant rocked their world. As their eyes were open to this truth, they're doing a self-examination and saying, hey, wait. I'm that remnant. I'm part of that remnant. I'm called by God. I am a true Israelite. I am a child of the one true living God. What a celebration that had to be going on in the hearts of these people. Think about the celebration was happening in the church. Can you imagine? Uh, they are affirming that God's promises are true, that God does keep his covenant. Maybe they're thinking, I, I should have seen this the whole time. Why didn't I see this? The true Jew and the blessed Jew is the believing Jew. It's been that, that, been that way. It's always been that way. And now, now they see that when they... Jew receives Jesus as the Savior and Messiah. All the promises are fulfilled. God's word is the truth and it has not failed. They now see that when a Jew comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
That chosen one enters into covenant blessing, the fulfillment of the promises. It all makes sense now, they would say. Celebrate. What a celebration it has to be. And that's the same thing that happens to us as believers. We do a self-examination. We realize we are, a, we are sinners in need of salvation. We turn from our sin. We turn to Jesus. We put our trust in him that our sins are forgiven. We put our trust in Jesus for our salvation. And then the celebration begins. Amen. I am a child of God. I am in the new covenant. God keeps his promises. I will spend eternity with the one true, loving, living God. It's a celebration like no other. It's better than any birthday party you've ever been to. Amen? But we have to know, you know, when our eyes are open, it's just like, Oh, well, that just makes so much sense. But we have to know it, it's easy for us to understand on this side of the cross and uh, the spirit living in us. But it may be not so easy for a Jewish person back then. Maybe not so easy. Paul continues to present his case. Verse six, but it is not though the word of God has failed for not all are descended from Abraham belong from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So. Not all descendants of Israel belong to Israel. And Paul puts a puts an and there. And he says, and not all the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Again, the promise was never addressed merely to the natural descendants of Abraham. So who are the offspring of Abraham? Well, again, on this side of the cross, we know that the scriptures say in Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. According to the promise, again, we see God's promise to Israel is not just to fleshly Israel. God has kept his covenant promise with the ones who believe as he has, as he always has and always will. Whether or not Israel believes or not. Continuing with Paul here. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. And then he says, but. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Paul uses scripture to show how all who are descended from Israel are descended from Israel, belong, do not belong to Israel. But through Isaac, they do not belong to Israel, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. We know that everybody who descended from the loins of Abraham is not automatically in the covenant. Everybody descending from Abraham is not automatically in the, in, the, in the promise. How do we know that? Well, it's right here. It's through Isaac that the offspring will come. If that's true, then not all the children of Abraham are of Israel because they are his offspring, right? You see what Paul's doing? He's taking us back to Abraham for us to see how God works. Who was the firstborn son of Abraham? wasn't Isaac. It was Ishmael, right? But Ishmael was ex excluded from the promise. He was excluded from the covenant. We now see that the second son, the first legitimate son born of Sarah, who was Isaac, is the one who is in the covenant and the promises. He is the promised one. So here we have to ask the question, was, was Isaac better? Did he earn it? No. 
This decision was made before Isaac was ever born. It was made before Ishmael was born. It was the calling of God. God said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And, you know, we know how the story goes, right? God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, even though you're barren for all these years, you know, they're like 90, 100, 100 years old. They never had a son. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. They had a little chuckle, said, yeah, right. And, and, and what did God say? He said, your son is going to be a child of promise. And through him is going to come a nation. They chuckled some more. Doubted God, took things into their own hands. Abraham went to his handmaiden by the name of Hagar. Hagar gives birth to a child by the name of Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham, correct? Yes. Abraham was his father, and that gave him the rights of being the firstborn son. But Ishmael was rejected. He was set apart from the line of the promise. And God gave to Abraham and Sarah, in spite of their sinfulness, the child of the promise, who was Isaac. And in him, says in verse 7, the seed was called. Again, the point that Paul's making, not all who are Israel is the true Israel. And he takes us back, back to the beginning of the nation of Israel being formed. Back to Ishmael and Isaac to demonstrate that God never said that those naturally descending from Abraham were to receive covenant blessing. This shows us that God's promise is based on what he does, based on what he does, not upon what men do, and that his word does not fail. But it is not though, it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not who are children of Abraham, of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall be your offspring be named. We just saw that. Verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Who are the children of the promise? Verse 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return to Sarah, and Sarah shall have a son. Quoted right out of Genesis 18, 14. That's the promise. Sarah shall have a son. Not Hagar shall have a son. Sarah shall have a son. And so God is selected. Isaac was born at a special time. Born by the special power of God. And born by the promise of God. He is the child of divine choice as God acts in human history. Now, if that's not a proof that all of Israel is not true Israel, Paul goes further. But Paul, he, he answers every question from every angle, doesn't he? He's going to make sure you understand what he's talking about as he goes through. You, you remember what we read about him a couple of weeks ago? And he went to synagogue and he's preaching. And the word said that, that Saul increased the more in strength and confused and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. <laughs> He's not the guy you want to debate. You know, Paul is thorough. As we, as we went through Mark, we saw him. He just kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back, pounding the point. So he gives us another illustration here of the sovereignty of God and how God's word has not failed. Verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, 
in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written. Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. Now, Paul has moved down to Isaac and Rebekah. So not only did Sarah receive, along with Abraham, a promise of a son, but here we see that Isaac's wife, Rebekah, also received a promise. So here we have Rebekah, the bride of Isaac, and she gives birth to twins. All this is in uh, Genesis 25. Their names are Jacob and Esau, and from those two, God chose one through whom would come the line of promise. God chose Jacob, the younger one. God's unconditional election could not have been on more display than when he chooses the younger twin. Esau was firstborn. He should have all the rights of the firstborn, which meant double blessing, double respect. There's a whole line of stuff he gets. But what do we see here? We see God being God. God chose Jacob. Again, Paul's saying, not all the natural children are the children of the promise. It's never been that way. Never in the case of Abraham and not in the case of Isaac. Make note here, though, both couples tried to be God. You will see that? Both couples made a mess of things, but that did not stop God's plan. So back to Rebecca here. She has twins. God says in verse 12, it was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. Who made that call? God did. God says, I choose Jacob. I choose the younger to be the one over to, to be set over the elder. This was against the normal course of life. But guess what? God is God. We are not. And God chose Jacob for the promise. Now, I want to give a little background on Esau here. Firstborn of the twins. Esau was a hairy man. God thought it was important we should know that. He was a hairy man. He was a field and stream guy. He, he hunting and fishing. It, it, he was the he was the father's favorite there. He should have had the special blessing, the double inheritance. He should have had the you know the double respect, the promise. But the problem was, as he grew and developed, he was definitely not concerned with the things of God. His life proved it. He was wild, son of the desert, indifferent to the things of God. Married pagans. He had forbidden wives of the Canaanites. And on top of that, he ends up marrying his cousin. His cousin was Ishmael's daughter. And to really show his character, he sold his birthright. Being the firstborn meant nothing to him. He sold his birthright for a bowl of Tammy's homemade chili. <laughs> now we know it's good. I don't know if it's that good. I mean, it is good stuff. Not that good. He, he, he was indifferent to the things of God. He was indifferent to the covenant. He was indifferent to being a child of promise. This, listen, this guy, this guy was so bad that he's mentioned in Hebrews. Listen to what it says. Hebrews 12, 16, it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. My, my goodness, how bad do you have to be that they're still talking about your behavior 6,000 years later? This guy's bad. Man, Esau was so corrupt, so evil, so profane that even when 
He intellectually wanted to repent. He couldn't find a place for repentance. He couldn't even bring himself to repent. He was so evil. 6,000 years later. That's, that's strong. So he was the firstborn. He was not the chosen of God, and his life confirmed that. You see, when God chooses, that's only part of it. God rejected Esau as the line of promise, but Esau rejected God. Jacob may have been chosen as the, as the line of promise before the twins were born, but Esau had the birthright right up until he traded it for a bowl of chili. Here's one for you. You can be sure that God only rejects those who reject him and only chooses those who choose him. Yeah, let that one stew in your brain for a while. A statement we can wrestle with forever and ever. But you know what we see here? We see a divine mystery, right? God being God. God can do what God wants to do. Now, as we look at Jacob, we might think, well, wait, he was a good one, right? God chose him. He must be the good guy. He bought the birthright from Esau. He received the blessing. Do you know how he received that blessing from Isaac? He pretended to be Esau. He's no angel. He's a deceiver. On top of that, his mother put him up to it. <laughs> Great family here. You, you have to ask, why would Rebecca do that? She knew God said the elder will serve the younger. She knew that Jacob is the one God chose. Why would she do that? Because she's a fallen sinner. Mankind does not like to let God be God. We always think our ways are better. We're always jumping in and making a mess of things. Abraham and Sarah caused problems not waiting on God. And here we have it again. Because Jacob did not wait on God and became a deceiver. He had a life of pain and sorrow and trouble. Now, Jacob did seek God. He's the one who wrestled with an angel. And out of that wrestling, God changed his name from Jacob to what? Israel. Israel. He did seek God. He had a heart for God, but he suffered because of his sin. He was chastened by the Lord. He was hated by his brother. His life was full of pain and sorrow, but he did seek God. And there was a righteousness in him. And he was God's chosen child. So the, to the point that Paul is making here is the same point he's been making from verse 6. When it came to Jacob and Esau, God chose who would be the one of promise. So we can all see that not all of Isaac's offspring would be of the promise. We have seen today that not all of Abraham's sons were chosen as children of the promise, nor of Isaac's either takes us back to verse 6. The, the true Israel is not of the natural descent. Saw it in Romans 2. There's a difference between the natural seed of Abraham and the spiritual children of Abraham. We have seen that Abraham had two sons, Ishmael by Hagar, Isaac by Sarah. Ishmael was the firstborn. He should have been chosen, but it was Isaac that God chose. Isaac and Rebekah had, had twins, Esau and Jacob. As the firstborn, Esau should have been chosen, but it was Jacob that God chose. God did not base his election on the physical. Therefore, if the nation of Israel 
Abraham's physical descendants has rejected God's word, that does not mean that God's word has failed. Another point, since God's election of Israel does not depend on human merit, their disobedience cannot nullify the elective purpose of God. God is faithful even though his people are unfaithful. So this is a sad and rather sobering story about Israel here. Here's a nation that counted itself as having an inside track with God and saw itself as the people of God, the chosen nation close to God with various advantages that no other nation had had. The Israelites regarded themselves as having a, a specially privileged position with God. And yet Paul begins this section, begins chapter nine with a clear acknowledgement that the nation is far, far away from God. Despite all the privileges they enjoyed, nevertheless, they're a long way away. And it broke Paul's heart. But there's good news. God has his people. To this day, God has his remnant. And so God's word stands as it has always stood. The unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's promise. The unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's person. The unbelief of Israel does not cause any inconsistency with God's prophet. And the unbelief of Israel does not cause any consistency with God's plan. So as we look at this text, as we look back at this text, it should give us comfort for one. But it should also give us peace knowing that God fulfills his promises. And we should rest in the fact that no matter how unbelieving man is, no matter how unfaithful man is, God will see his plan through. So our response to this text is this. To reverently accept the fact that God is greater than we are. He knows more than we do. He knows what he is doing, and everything he does will always be consistent with his character. God is love. Whether we can understand it or not, we have to rest on that thought that God is love. Amen? And that part about God loving Jacob and hating Esau, you have to come back next week. We'll talk about that.